0: To this episode of the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. And the title of today's episode is Life Lessons Learned. So I'm Dr. Sarah Coop. I'm a GP and a medical educator and coach. And I'm joined today by
1: Andrew Trisella, GP from Somerset, working for NHS Somerset. And we're really pleased to welcome Dr. Amrita Senmukhaji. Amrita, very warm welcome to you.
2: Hi, Andrew. It's really, really wonderful to be here. I'm um, really honoured that you've invited me to come and speak today. So thank you very much.
1: Lots of interesting things to talk about. But first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself, please. What's been your journey in life to, to what you're doing now and what are you doing now?
2: Sure. Um it's a bit of a convoluted journey, but nonetheless it is mine. Um I so I started my um, should we say, academic career in um In London, when I studied um, a maths degree um, and then following that, I went on to did a complete U-turn and decided that I wanted to be a doctor. And so um, I followed my parents' footsteps and went to medical school Um, Following that, I started my general practice training, much like you and Sarah. Um, I'm a general practitioner. um, But now I still practice clinical medicine, but the mainstream of my work is um, in the well-being sphere. So um, I'm what you call a positive psychology practitioner and a positive psychology coach. Um, So I really work with people to enhance their well-being, allow them to live a life that's much more congruent with their values and their purpose. and try to embody all the things that I've learned in my journey and um, in, in the work that I do currently.
1: And as well as that, you've been doing some research as well, I gather.
2: I have, Andrew, yes. Um, so part of my journey led me um, to study um, a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. And I did that, um, I started that, should I say, um, Mid two thousand and nineteen, so just before the pandemic. So, had I realized the pandemic was going to hit, I probably wouldn't have made the decision to to start my masters at that time. But nonetheless, I was on that journey, so I continued. Um, so it took me about two years to complete my masters because I um, studied it part time. Um, but the rationale for me studying that was really I wanted to to practice a far more holistic type of healthcare a healthcare that was really um in tune with understanding the person as a whole um i felt that i had a gap in my ability to to really practice my skills as a doctor because i felt that there was just one missing element and i hoped to find it through my masters and and that i did so um, my my research was in um considering the factors which um, lead us to develop something called post-traumatic growth, which essentially is a phenomenon where we reach um, higher levels of functioning following a tragedy or following a traumatic circumstance. Um, And the cohort that I looked at was doctors because I was particularly interested in in what happens to to doctors um, if they were to to have a traumatic event um, which led to post-traumatic growth, but specifically what I looked at was um, the, the life event of uh, developing an invisible disability. So developing an, a, what you call an acquired invisible disability that was related to somebody's physical health.
0: Yeah, just Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting, reading. I mean, your journey is just amazing hearing where you started in maths degree, U-turn, medicine, and then taking you throughout through to this sort of master's level. There's just a couple of things I really, that my ears pricked up on. I, there's loads you want to tell us and loads I want to hear about, but what, tell us about post-traumatic growth, because I think a lot of listeners will have heard of post-traumatic stress. And I just think there's something that'd be really interesting to know about that. And then I'd love to know more about the the invisible disability that you just started to mention. Sure, absolutely.
2: Thank you. Um it is it is really, really interesting phenomena. Post traumatic growth, and I think, as you said, lots of people know about the negative findings, should we say, or or the negative impact of of trauma. Um, and I think we can all relate to that as well. Um, but the theory of post traumatic growth essentially explains this this type of transformation that might occur to somebody uh, that that might happen to somebody, um, in the cognitive sense, and also in develop the behavioural sense. Um, So essentially, what happens is is that following a trauma, people will um, wrestle with the trauma, they'll understand the trauma, they'll try to make sense of the trauma in such a way that actually, they develop new understandings of themselves, they develop new understandings of the world that they live in, how to relate to people, and the kind of future that they might want to have the type of opportunities that they might want to take up and the type of appreciation that they have for life including um a different type of spirituality should we say um, so essentially what post-traumatic growth is is it's this um this struggle this psychological struggle that that we have following an adversity that es- essentially leads to positive growth
1: mm. um, older and wiser or is that a bit bit sort of pat phrase
2: No, not necessarily. It's absolutely nothing to do with age or, um, but certainly to do with wisdom, I suppose. Um, The essence of post traumatic growth is um, aptly related to the title. I I imagine that the the title of this podcast is Life Lessons Learned. And so, what post traumatic growth is about essentially um, is how do we make sense of the story of our lives? How do we make sense of the journey of our lives? And how do we weave that? Um, narrative into the tapestry of our life to make it this beautiful scene as opposed to these um, uh, pieces of a puzzle that essentially are isolated factors which, which make up our life, isolated stories or isolated chapters. Um, and what post-traumatic growth is, is it puts those chapters of a book together to make it readable and to make it a story with a coherent
0: beginning, middle and end. Um, that's the way I view it anyway. That's really helpful isn't it seeing it as a metaphor like that that there's a there's a flow then like in a book things flow there's a connection between events even painful difficult I say traumatic events but there's also I suppose it's that's that story isn't it and and just thinking about life as a journey and moving forwards and that progress I, I'm, I'm curious to know and I might be the only one wondering this but what's the difference between um resilience and post-traumatic growth now I've heard people say different things but I'd be really interested to know what your research and your insight is on that. Thanks, Sarah. That that is a really interesting question, and I
2: think it's it, it's it's a hard thing to discuss. To be honest, Sarah, and the reason I say that is because there's no, in in my opinion, through my research, through my learning, what I have identified, which is really crucial, and I try to I try to embody this myself, and I try to use it in my work with people, and I also try to very heavily embed that in my children's mindset that there's no right or wrong. We all have different opinions. We all come to different conclusions, um, depending on our life journey, depending on the stories that, that we have. And I think it's really important to, to recognise that that whatever I do say here, it's my interpretation and it's based on my research. And so I suppose I just want to give the listeners um, that confidence that if they do disagree with something I say, that's okay, because actually what they're doing is they're using their own cognitive um, sense and their own understanding of of how to rationalise an idea and coming up with their own view, which is absolutely brilliant. And that's how we all should be. But in my view, one of the reasons as to why, or or the difference, should I say, between post-traumatic growth and um, resilience is around this concept um, of shattered assumptions, so one thing that um, the the mindset or the philosophy of post traumatic growth really um, is uh, grows from, should I say, is the fact that the a trauma that somebody has to endure or a life event that somebody has to endure has to fundamentally shake their life's principles, shake the rules around which their life has been um, uh, developed it has to shake their sense of safety and their sense of security in order for them to reconstruct that narrative, essentially. So that's what happens in post-traumatic growth. Essentially, you're going along your life journey, something catastrophic happens, the earth opens up, you have to change your whole idea of what normality is or what's normal for you, and then you make a new narrative. That's what post-traumatic growth is. The difference between that and resilience, in my opinion and from my learning, is that actually resilience is how we cope in difficult times. It's this bouncing back. It's this enduring difficult times, learning how to adapt ourselves, using cognitive flexibility, but equally returning to baseline. So we we can grow, we can um, succumb, but equally, the end result is we carry on moving in the same direction that we were. What post-traumatic growth does is it causes a complete change in
0: trajectory. That's so helpful. Andrew, what did you want to add to that? Well, it
1: was just the words life-changing came in, as 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 you were saying. It was life-changing or earth-shattering events. And having grown from that, I, I'm, I'm interested in coming back to what Sarah asked about, your research was particularly in the area of invisible disabilities now what 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 do you mean by invisible disabilities please
2: yeah thanks andrew that's a really good good question essentially an invisible disability is one that we can't see so typically um uh, when when we think about disabilities and, and obviously I'm speaking very generically um, we think of people who might have um, difficulties with their physical appearance um, in terms of maybe not being able to use their limbs in, in, um, in a way that is supportive for them with all the facilities that, that life has in the sense and what I mean by that is we have to make accommodations to support somebody's physical means essentially is what I'm trying to say. Um, what an invisible disability is, is essentially something that affects somebody that we cannot see as an outsider. So it's something that somebody knows about because they're dealing with it or they're suffering with it or that's their life journey. But other people wouldn't know about it unless they're let into that person's world. Um, it can encompass physical ailments such as rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, Um mental health difficulties such as depressive disorders or bipolar affective disorders and it can also um, include those who uh, are on the neurodivergent spectrum as well. However my particular research focused on those who had a physical illness with cognitive dysfunction so an illness that caused um, some sort of Disruption in the functioning of the brain um, or the functioning of somebody's ability to think. Um, So that would be rheumatoid arthritis, for example, because people get brain fog. It would be multiple sclerosis because um, the fact that people find that sometimes their processing is a little bit different or a little bit slower. Um, Another one would be epilepsy. All of these types of things um, encompass what I have um, articulated as a physical, invisible disability.
0: And Amrita, what did you what did you want your research to to do? What were you hoping to either find or explore? I mean, it's a really really interesting topic and very yeah very very helpful to think about it. But what what were you? I guess I'm, I chose. I'm trying to think. What was your motivation behind doing this? And what was your curiosity perhaps as well? Mm, that's a very good question, Sarah. My motiv- So I
2: my motivation behind it essentially stemmed from. Um, the very sad crisis that we're seeing in the NHS at the moment. Um, We are hemorrhaging a very, very talented workforce. And um, during my GP training um, and my kind of early general practitioner years, I um, was doing a lot of work trying to figure out why why this was happening, what was going on. Um, You know, I did a bit of work with the BMA, with HEE um, and also with RCGP. Really trying to figure out and articulate a solution to the problem. Yes, we have a problem, but what's the solution to that? The more I tried to do, the sorry, more- just to in,
1: just just to interrupt, he Health Education England, RCGP Royal College of General Practitioners, and the BMA British Medical Association. Um, just to s- explain the acronyms, please carry on. Sorry,
2: I'm so sorry. Yes, my my my, my mistake. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot where I was. Now, um, I was saying that. Um, Yes, I I recognised that that there was no easy solution. So that led me to think a bit deeper. Well, if I can't find a solution, I have to look more closely at what the problem is um, and articulate the problem. um, So that actually our solutions are less generic and far more focused and far more strategic. Um, Which led me on to think about my own personal circumstances. Um, And As a doctor who had an acquired invisible disability, um, I recognised that there was limited support and limited understanding. Um, So wanting to take myself out of that equation and understand what's happening to my colleagues, my friends, those who I admire and who I um, support, how can I help them identify what has happened to them and articulate a story around that which is compelling enough to put support research resource in to place so that we are not hemorrhaging a workforce and we are retaining them, uh, keeping our very skilled and talented workforce um where they should be. And mm, I'm, I'm curious to know what did what did you find from your research? Mm, great question, Sarah. I found it, it it was such a brilliant experience. And um before I kind of go on to what I found, I really want to just um honour the participants of my study um who really were so brave and courageous in telling their stories and in opening up and trusting me with with the privilege of of being able to to hear their their wonderful, wonderful journeys. Um, so I found that there were in my co- cohort of people that there, there were um three main themes around the development of post-traumatic growth in these individuals and um, for some of them it took three years for some of them five for some of them a decade but all of these changes happened within a decade which is really important as well to recognize because post-traumatic growth um as a um as, as a concept as a theory has to occur within 10 years of um of an event um and that's that's what the researchers said that's what the fathers of, of post-traumatic growth have kind of articulated but the three main themes are around identity this identity um around the professional and the personal self what happens to a doctor in particular why is it that doctors have a very different experience of illness um what is it that is the main driver behind this um pressure this uncomfort this discomfort and this tragedy that occurs and what i found was it was this articulation of the doctor as a person and the person as a doctor the intertwining this double helix effect of the fact that one cannot separate these two identities how much of you as an individual is a doctor and how much of of that doctor is the individual
1: that's really interesting, and I, I, just to interject um many many of us play roles in life, and um those of us who are privileged to be doctors this is a very consuming role uh, and we can believe that we are, are doctor only, and we forget that we're a human being sometimes am I am I saying the right sort of things or is it uh, and it's also there's something about invulnerability, and we mustn't be seen to be weak, and we must always perhaps make ourselves better um
2: Absolutely, Angie. You've you've um, you've articulated quite a lot of what came up in, in in my study. Actually, that there's this this essence of the human left behind. So when when somebody suffers an illness, um, there's this existential crisis of hang on a second. I'm the carer. Why have I now found myself in, in the role that where someone needs to care for me? This kind of threatened identity of somebody's embodied self, that what I've described as the doctor first, human second self, um, and that essentially led to the deconstruction of one's whole self. That was the trauma, that was the earth shattering trauma, the deconstruction of one's identity, um, which is really, really powerful actually, and, and was found in all of my participants.
0: Just hearing you say that, Amrita, really um, speaks so much. And I think, I, I don't know what you found, but just giving people the space to talk about these things, I can imagine was really, really powerful. And some of our listeners are medical or healthcare professionals. But I'm just thinking for all of our listeners, I don't know what, from the research that, you, that you've that you done and the findings you've got and the life lessons learned, what are some of the, I suppose, the, the nuggets of truth that you can take out of that that might apply to everybody? Um, yeah absolutely And, and that's really important because my study was in doctors
2: but it's really important to recognize that doctors are humans and um this isn't about doctors only this is about how we can extrapolate life lessons to all of us as as we are all bound by the fact that we are human beings being a human being is the fundamental line you know we come into this world and we leave this world as a human being and it's and that that was also one of the really important parts of my study to recognize that doctors are not different and I think as a doctor myself having been trained in the NHS there is this certain um, culture where doctors might feel that because they've been trained in a particular way they may be different and what I really wanted to do in my research was level that and say actually no the bottom line is is that we're all human and all of these experiences can be um identifiable by anyone what i would really like people to get from my study is recognize that not only is having a space very important in order to be validated but it's also really important to be understood to be heard to be seen and also to to give people the opportunity to be curious to ask questions just because you see something or don't see something sorry just because you don't see something it doesn't mean it doesn't exist it doesn't mean that somebody's journey is not valid just because you don't understand it because it's not part of your journey
0: and i think that's such a good point isn't it that all is not what it seems i think that was something that when we were chatting before that was a phrase you used and and it's so helpful to keep that in mind isn't it in all our interactions with fellow human beings that none of us can know each other's journey fully but approaching someone else with that curiosity with um non-judgmental attitude no assumptions which is very very difficult sometimes but yeah, just thinking we don't know, do we? What's behind someone's struggle, behind someone's joy, even, you know, that that emotional experience? We we don't know, do we? And it's not always our business to know. But I think there's something about just keeping that open mind, which is a really helpful, a, a really helpful life lesson, isn't it, when we're interacting with others. Um, Andrew, you. Yeah, what else did you want to add to that? You go know, like you had something else to say.
1: So, make no assumptions is is number three of the four agreements or the five agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, which are quite interesting South American wisdom. Um, I, I was just picking up on what you were saying about uh, um, the. Challenge of being a patient as as a doctor, and and there are two prime directives that Doctor Dyke Drummond, who wrote a book called uh, "Stop Physician Burnout," which is a fascinating book. Two prime directives: the patient always comes first, and never show weakness. And so, there's an interesting tension when w- the doctor becomes the patient. Fascinating, and of course, caregivers are very good at giving oxygen to everybody else whilst in a state of personal hypoxia. But would we want the pilot of our aircraft? I'm using lots of metaphors here. Would we want the pilot of our aircraft to run around giving oxygen to everybody else? There is what they they say on the safety announcements, don't they? Own oxygen first. Help yourself yeah, first.
2: Ab- absolutely, Andrew. And I think this came up in one of my other themes of my paper. Um, I entitled it, See me for who I am and not for who you want me to be. So that was essentially around um the participants exposing their vulnerability which had become a fragile identity state um and recognizing that actually there's a lot of self-stigmatization and in order for somebody to advocate for themselves they have to one overcome the self-stigmatization then overcome the stigmatization that is put upon them from their community so there's this double hurdle almost that one has to overcome the hurdle of being self-compassionate and then the hurdle of trying to gain compassion from those around you as well or or not even just compassion but but an understanding and this non-judgmental behaviours viewpoints and um, in addition to that there was this theme around tribalism you know if you're unwell you've crossed the line and actually you're no longer part of our fit healthy workforce who you know is able to to walk around and look after people without having any insult or injury to our own selves so there's a there, there it's very very complex actually andrea what happens when this identity state is defragmented de, de um or fragmented should i say it, and actually recognizing how we can put these stories together um allows us to connect on a much deeper level with more people with, with far more far, far more a far greater community should i say
0: and Rita, that really resonates, that connecting with people on a deeper level. That's what all human beings strive for long for isn't it and there's so many different areas that you've touched on today that I feel that you know, we would love to go deeper so think about people's identity thinking about post-traumatic stress post-traumatic growth you've touched on um obviously concepts a little bit in the medical workforce of, of burnout I think the really important topic of invisible disability let's just I mean just one final word from you on Rita, just before we wrap up what, what would you how would you advise people if they want to seek help perhaps with this if there's anything that's resonated particularly with them. Have you got any um, either top tip or some resource that would be useful for them to look at?
2: I don't have a top tip, Sarah. And the reason I say that kind of takes me back to to what I said earlier, that that we all have our own journey. And so a solution will be different for every person. What I would say is that in order for people to be accepting of new ways of thinking, of support, they have to be in the right place. So all I would do is say to people that actually... If you are thinking that's the first step in the right direction, if you are thinking about making a change, you know, that's wonderful. Let's encourage that. Try to gain support from somebody who you know is a trusted person and take baby steps in your journey forward. Um, Trying to expect too much of yourself um, will not do you or those around you any favours and just trying to make sure that you work with self-compassion in a non-judgmental way towards yourself so all the things that you'd that you'd like people to do for you actually reflect that inwards and I think is a really key message that I'd like to get out to people.
0: Yeah so rather than a top tip it's really like you say looking at the principles for yourself isn't it and treating yourself the way that you deserve at the end of the day with that self-compassion and acceptance. Andrew how about you what's one final word from yourself?
1: I think it's just been fascinating listening, uh, Amrita, and, and hearing your wisdom. Um, I work for NHS Practitioner Health, which, which looks after doctors and dentists in difficulties, and uh, it's a privilege helping there. It's not an elitist service. It's a service that actually is based on, the, on keeping doctors well is actually very important for patient safety, uh, and that's the rationale for it. But Amrita, thank you so much. Very much enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tricider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.